I just want to thank you all for leaning into this, uh, this series. I know how many of you would say, just show it like, just let's just be real and candid for just a second. How many of you just even the first couple of weeks of this message, you've been challenged by it or it's spoken to you in significant ways. Like so I hope we're, we're meddling, we're getting into some stuff and we're going to do it today. Um, as well and as we continue on with the series. And so I want to take you to a portion of scripture today found in first Corinthians chapter 15 verses one to eight. Um, and I will tell you this, if I get super excited somewhere towards the backside of this message or even at the beginning, um, I love this subject. The reason I love this subject is because I don't know who I would be without the salvation given to me in and through Jesus. Come on, anybody else have a praying mama? <laughs> mama was on her knees, y'all. Because she's like, Jesus has got to get a hold of this boy. Or we're going to have a problem. And so uh, I will just forewarn you, I will be passionate about this subject today. Because like we just sang in this song, I know the wretch that I was. And he reached across eternity. Come on, and he gave his son. I don't know about for you, but he gave him for me. I know he did it for you too. I'm just saying. Make it personal today. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses one to eight says this. Now I want to make it clear for you. How many of you know that when someone says, I want to make it clear for you, you start really listening, right? Have you, have you ever had anybody like say that to you? Like, I just, I need to be clear with you. This is what Paul's saying right now. Brothers and sisters, everybody, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Now watch what he says. By which you are being, every shout saved. Come on, every shout saved. Every shout saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, if you stay with the centrality of the gospel truth, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Don't listen to the pundits. Don't listen to the ideologies. Don't, don't get trapped by 1%, 2% off. Stay with the message I preached to you. And here's the message he preached. For I passed on to you. That's what he says. I passed on to you as most important. Now, how many of you know and would agree with me to say that what I'm saying is of most importance is a pretty big statement. And how many of you know that when someone says this is of most importance, we listen. So Paul is saying that about this salvation issue. And this is what they believed. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Uh, apostles. And last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, speaking about his Damascus Road experience found in the book of Acts, Paul says, he also appeared to me. So today, as we continue on in our series, Tethered, I want to speak to you from this subject today. Salvation of first importance. As we look at the gift of salvation that we have in and through Jesus. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it's alive. 
It's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us today. God, here's my prayer today. For those of us in this room that might have hardened hearts right now, I pray that the hardness would be broken in Jesus' name. Oh God, that the word would water hard ground today. Where we've been offended by the gospel, where we've been offended by our circumstance, where where we've been offended by our situations and it's caused callousness in our minds and our hearts today, I pray that we would soften in Jesus' name, name that the seed of your word would be planted, it would be watered, it would take root, and it would grow even in this moment, and it would produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in our lives right now. So I thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful, and it transforms us from the inside out. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church, shout in. Amen. If you've got your journal today, we're going to be at page 70, where you'll find your statement of faith, our orthodox statement on salvation. I lit my smoker on fire the other day, and they were really big flames. Um, I was scared, my son was scared, and I almost burnt my house down. This was a real moment. And I'll tell you how it happened, because I like to think of myself, and I don't know if there's anybody else that's out there like this, I like to think of myself as a master smoker. Now, I want to be really clear about this. When I say master smoker, I'm talking about the smoking of meats, okay? I know we're close to Colorado, back down, okay? So just so we're clear. And um, I'll get busy with my Traeger, and I'll do brisket. And I'll do pork chops and I'll do chicken. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, we don't like meat. You'll never eat food at my house then. So, but on Saturdays, I love, I love to smoke meat. So this just happened the other day, actually. And, uh, we were running behind on dinner. So I threw my grill on realizing that I was out of propane. So my grill didn't work. So I was like, oh, I'll just crank my smoker up really, really fast. And I'll throw this fish on there that I was doing. And so I went over, turned it on smoke, and then closed the lid, went in the kitchen, started to prep everything, and then, and then I came out and I turned my smoker onto the highest temperature, about 400 plus degrees. And then shut the lid again, went in, let it warm up. I looked out the window of my kitchen and I saw a lot of smoke billowing out of this smoker. And I got concerned. And so I went outside and I opened the smoker and when I opened the smoker, the flames just, just went up. And I screamed and then I ran in and I grabbed my son and I was like, buddy, grab water. So he grabs the water jug for the dog and I'm grabbing two little small cups and we're running out and I'm tossing water on my smoker, which I haven't even turned it on again to see if it works. It might be broken right now. But I sat back and as I've been analyzing what took place, I sat, I look at the smoker and I was like, man, what happened? Because it's a pellet smoker. That's not even a lot of fire. It's just burning little tiny pellets. And that had more fire than I know what to do with, okay? And so I looked at it and I realized that I had done something which was against the rules of barbecuing and smoking. And that was, I forgot to do the most important thing before every session of cooking meat. And that was to clean the smoker. See, the week before, I had made ribs with some honey. Come on, somebody. Some oil some brown sugar, some soy sauce on it. And all of that was sitting on the bottom of my smoker. 
And that lit on fire. And I committed arson. What's my point? My point is, is I skipped a first importance, the most important thing, which was to clean my smoker. And here's my concern. My concern is that some of us are sitting in here today liking things about church, liking things about God, liking things about Jesus, liking things about theology, but we've skipped that which is of most importance. That I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by my own works, but only by the goodness and the graciousness and the power of Jesus. Now we like it as a statement until we actually start to examine what I've been saved from. Uh oh. And so today that's the journey that we're going to take because we're going to look at this issue of, of salvation because there's some things that I need to understand that you and I need to understand why salvation is of, like Paul said, first importance. Now, the truth of salvation found in Jesus is the crowning subject throughout scripture. To lose sight of this is to lose sight of the gospel. Now hear me when I say this. The gospel is not a self-help message. Although it helps, it's not a prosperity message, although God has blessings for us. The gospel is not a social justice message, although God is for justice. The gospel is not a political discourse, an educational resource, or a poetic analogy for life. The gospel is the message of salvation through Jesus to those who are sin-shackled and in need of a savior. Now, if you're wondering if you are sin-shackled, yes. Come on, everybody shout sin. Everybody shout sin. We're going to say sin. There's two S words that the church struggles with, sin and sex. We're going to talk about both of those in this series a lot, okay? It's okay. You can laugh at that joke. It's fine. See, y'all got tight. But we have to come face to face with this today. Or, or otherwise, this, the song that we just sang means nothing. They're just words. I was thinking about that. I haven't said that in any of the other services, but I was sitting there on, that fr- on this front row thinking about this message. And as I'm singing, these words, unless we understand this subject, mean nothing. It's just a great song about a dude who died on a cross and supposedly got up out of a grave. But if we understand the power of salvation and why you and I need to be saved... Oh, then these words are life-changing because of the declaration that they are over you and me. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. This is what Paul says. He says, and you were dead. Everybody shout dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. Anybody been there before? Right? Living according to our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Now, this is important. Because some of you are like, man, Jason shouts a lot. Yep, so did Paul. 
And when you're talking about grace, come on somebody, I think you need to shout sometimes. <laughs> I've been saved by grace. It's not by your works. It's not by anything that you can do. He also raises up. If that wasn't good enough, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace. If you didn't get it the first time, now you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. And it's not from works, he says, so that no one can boast. You can't run around and say, I did it. You can't say, I earned this, because we didn't. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Can we just take a moment and thank Jesus that we are saved by grace? In academia, we call this particular subject the subject of salvation, soteriology. For a succinct definition, we turn to Nelson's New Christian Dictionary. Soteriology. In the Greek, soteria, meaning salvation. A branch of theology dealing with salvation, including, this is the, the stuff underneath it, including atonement, grace, original sin, redemption, repentance, justification, Regeneration, adoption, initial sanctification, and final glorification, eternity. Now, if any of those things sound intriguing to you, I would invite you to go on a lifelong study of these beautiful theologies and doctrines of our faith. We're not going to get to all of them in this series. We'll get to some of them like repentance, and we'll talk a little bit about sanctification today and later. And then we're going to mention one more today, justification. The subject of soteriology is one of the most important and all-encompassing subjects found across Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The subject of salvation and its counterparts, according to Charles Caldwell, writer of Basic Theology, a systematic guide to understanding biblical truth, writes this. Salvation, this issue, is personal, it's national, and it's cosmic. And it centers on the greatest person, our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to write this very powerful statement concerning salvation. He says, from God's perspective, salvation includes the total work of God in bringing people, now listen, from condemnation to justification, from death to eternal life, from alienation to filiation. From the human perspective, it incorporates all of the blessings that being in Christ brings both in this life, come on, someone shout now, and in eternity. So the subject and the truth of salvation are so central to the gospel that to ignore it, to pass over it, to speak lightly of it. Oh, hear me, church, today. To be too familiar with it is to lose the gravity and the brevity and the beauty of our Christian faith. We cannot not talk about this issue. We can't avoid it. Because if we avoid it and we make light of it, one theologian once said this, light and erroneous views of sin cause light and erroneous views of the cross. If we don't measure things out, if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't look at it, what we do is we strip the beauty off of what salvation is. And it is one of the most beautiful, if not like Paul would say, the most important of our faith. Everything rises and falls 
on this. See, it's trendy to talk about Jesus right now in this way. And I don't know, maybe you've heard this, maybe you've said it. It's a trendy way to talk about Jesus right now to highlight and hold up his love as the greatest attribute one could realize about him. We say things like, God is love. Well, it's getting quiet in church now. <clears throat> Come on, we've, we've said this, haven't we? Show of hands, how many of you have said this at one point or another, just so I know I'm squaring off with everybody now, right? I've said it as well. And it's true. God is love. Unequivocally, he is love. But without an understanding, without an assessment of what that love did, God is love simply becomes a trite observance. Our desire to simply have a teddy bear God who comforts us when we are having a bad day or a grandpa God with khakis and a Werther's original in his pocket to soothe us. Because God's love produced something. Oh, I said God's love produce something. I said, God's love produced something. And this is what it produced. It produced a sacrifice. God's love didn't produce a good feeling. God's love didn't produce vibes. God's love didn't produce a mirror for you to look in and say, I'm good all the time. God's love isn't a blanket that you get to wrap yourself in and just feel peaceful all the time. No, no, no. God's love produced one thing and one thing only. God's love produced a sacrifice and that sacrifice came. He lived among us. He was placed on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He got up three days later and he sits at the right hand of God so that you and I might be saved. So we can't just talk about God's Love. When we do this, we tend to separate the person of Jesus from the finished work of Jesus. See, many of us want to hold hands with the person of Jesus, but we don't want to hold hands with the atonement found in Jesus. We like buddy Jesus. We like bobblehead Jesus. Come on, have you ever seen those before? That, that's what we, we like, we like commercial Jesus. But we struggle with atonement, Jesus, because atonement, Jesus, causes you and I to look in the mirror and realize who we really are. Now, this may be offensive to you today because we are in a culture right now, honestly, maybe more so than ever, that is so me-centric for a dude with balding blonde hair to stand up on a stage and shout that we are sin-shackled is appalling. Who are you to tell me that I'm sinful? Well, I'm not. Scripture does. And we have to look in the mirror and realize that Jesus as a sacrifice was necessary because we are totally and completely broken. Jesus, is it right if we preach old school gospel for just a second? Jesus didn't die for good people. But that's how we make, we make the mistake sometimes. 
Like, I'm good. Why did Jesus need to die? He needed to die because we are sin shackled. And you're like, but wait a second. Like what I do doesn't impact anybody. Doesn't matter. You could go live on an island, you and Wilson. And you still need Jesus. You can be in a cave by yourself for the rest of your life. Can I tell you, you still need Jesus. It doesn't matter whether your sin affects you or not. It doesn't matter whether it hurts somebody else or not. It doesn't matter whether it's a tiny one or a big one, whatever that is. We'll talk about that later in this series. But what I am telling you is that you and I, because sin was passed down to us, because somebody jacked it up a long, long time ago, the Bible would tell us that it was passed through Adam onto humanity, and then a Savior was needed. And so God loved the world that he gave we can't move around this we can't slightly change it we can't mess with it we've got to look at it and for generations and centuries people have tried to twist it a little bit and shift it over here and here's what we've tried to do we've tried to make room in the story of salvation for a perceived goodness that we don't actually have Think about that. We've tried to make room in this by altering it just just a little bit. Because many of us struggle with the reality that we need something. And we need something that you and I can't get anywhere. You can't pick it up at Costco in bulk. You can't pick it up on rollback at Walmart. You won't find it in Walgreens. In the medicine section? Come on, somebody. I'm saved by grace. Now, if you're writing notes today, write this down. Salvation is the most significant announcement of God's love across Scripture. Salvation is the most significant announcement of God's love across Scripture. The Bible shows us that God's love produced a gift, and that gift was salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the driving truth found in John chapter 3, verse 16. But we're going to read John chapter 3, verse 16, all the way to verse 21. Have you ever done that before? Because lots of us stop, especially at monster truck shows and country shows. Everyone stops at just John three sixteen. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Right, And we love John 3.16. It's a beautiful verse, but we're going to read past it because I need you to see, biblically, the concept that's being driven here and the truth that we need to assess today. So here it is. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Can we stop for a praise break? That is good news right there. But you got to keep on reading. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. More good news. That's awesome. So why did he send him? To save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. You ever been there before? Come on, can we just be honest? Therapy session at church today. We've kind of loved our darkness at times. 
right? I grew up in an era where youth pastors used to tell like, sin is bad. Sin's not fun. There's no good for it. There's no good to it. And I remember sitting in my chair going like, actually, that was kind of a party, (laughs) y'all. Can we just be honest about sin? It's kind of fun sometimes. Some of you are like, I don't know whether I, what should I say about that? Let's make an, an honest assessment. There are times where you're like, man, that, that was fun. It was, it was, it was mysterious. And I got pleasure out of it. And I got a high out of it. And I made a little money from it. And I got a little bit more popular. You should have saw all the likes in the club. But if you keep on going with it, and we keep on liking the darkness, there's a certain point that we get to where I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it. But then it sucked all the life out of me. And I realized that there's now a gap. Because what I once liked no longer fills me. And I have to start running to it over and over and over again to be filled by something that is shallow. And so I get a quick hit and then I'm depleted again and I got to run back to it. And so I get another hit and I depleted and I run back to it. But then there's another option and the other option is Jesus. And it's in Jesus that if I drink of this well, I will never thirst again. If I eat of this bread, I will never be hungry again. He is the well that does not run dry. So it's not just a moral issue we're talking about here. We're talking about the sustenance of my life. So this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. That's the issue with our humanity. We don't like it to be exposed. You you see why we have to read past verse 16? This is beautiful work we're doing in the Bible right now. Because the truth is, we don't like our our deeds to be exposed. Verse 21, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Salvation is the most significant announcement of God's love across scripture. I want to say something today that's going to be potentially offensive to so many people, but got to put it out there because I know the argument. Well, didn't Jesus sit with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Yes, he did. But you need to understand this. Jesus did not sit with us to affirm us. He sat with us to show us the way of salvation. And this is what I mean. When we, when we remove this truth of scripture out, then yes, we believe that God's sole purpose is simply to walk with us and affirm us in everything that we do wrong. But if we understand the gift and the beauty of salvation, we see that Jesus sat with us with love, with compassion, with mercy to show us the way in which I am saved. And so salvation is the most significant announcement of God's love across 
scripture. Here's the second thing that I want us to write down. The gift of salvation displays God's grace across time and eternity. Ephesians chapter two, verses four to seven. But God, every shout, but God, who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us. Notice Paul's cueing on this. Because of this great love, we all love the idea of love that he had for us. He made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. Now, here's what I want us to hear. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I don't know if any parents have ever taken their kid to a surprise or created a surprise for them. And parents, how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say this? You don't care about what they're getting ready to look at. You open the surprise or show them the surprise. And then what do you do? You look at them so that you can get what their face is. Come on, has anybody been there before? Like say on Christmas day, you're like, I can't wait. I can't, Erica gets this way. I can't wait for the kids to see, to see their gift. The one that we labored over, right? The one that we, we spent the most money on. The one that we were really pumped to give them. And so they open it and you're not even paying attention to anything else. You're just looking at their face. And how many of you know, one of two things happen. Either one, they lose their mind. And you as a parent are, you're like, I have fulfilled my task as being the most awesome parent. <laughs> or you have a kid with a bit of a different personality who just looks at it. <laughs> They're processing it. And then you bait, you bait them on. Come on. How many parents have been there before? You're like, are you excited? D- do you like it? Do, do you want it? And they're just like. The picture that Paul wants us to get right here in the Bible is that what God has created for us eternally, when we cross the finish line of faith, he's going to be standing there showing us the vastness of this eternity, looking at our face so that he can see what it is he's made by his immeasurable goodness for us to partake in. Salvation is for both the here and now and the not yet. We're going to talk about eternity in this series, heaven and hell, but we can't talk about that issue until we understand this issue because then the same thing happens. We have a tendency to minimize one or the other. Oh, come on church. The paradise that he is making, the paradise that has been built. So to show his immeasurable riches and glory, I'm saved by grace. So see, once again, we cannot talk about the love of God without colliding with the salvation that we have through Jesus. You and I cannot understand the love of God if we don't understand salvation. Because if we do that, then all we are doing is simply assessing the love of God from a human standpoint. So what I want to do today for the remainder of our time is we get ready to kind of land this plane. This is like the 30 minutes before you actually land when the pilot says, we're starting to make our descent, okay? So we don't have 30 minutes left, by the way. Some of you just freaked out in that moment. You're like, what? (laughs) Um, Before we land this plane, what I want to do is I want to look at one more section of Scripture, a large section of Scripture found in John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 5 to 44. And we're going to read through it. 
And I'm going to do something a little bit different today is I'm going to read a section of scripture. I'm going to highlight the verses that I want us to look at and see, and then we're going to make a point and we're going to, we're going to work with it a little bit. Is that all right with everybody today? And so track along with me. This is the story. When I say story, just so you know, we're not saying like parables or some like fable. This is the true moment in Jesus's life where we see the healing and resurrection of Lazarus. And I believe as we look at this piece of scripture that it actually speaks to in an analogy sort of way, the salvation that's offered to you and me with what happens through Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse five says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's just stop for a second. That's how big Jesus's love was for Lazarus. Found out he was sick and he's like, we'll hang here for two more days, guys. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Then after this, the days, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Does anybody get confused when Jesus answers questions? He starts talking about hours in a day. Has no point with the idea that somebody wants to stone him, but he's going to go for it. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So already you see that Jesus is turning the narrative so that something else is going to be understood by this whole story that's about to take place. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. No big deal. We don't need to travel. It'll be fine. He'll get up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was, he meant taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus has to get very plain with the disciples. Do I have any two by four people in here where you just need it straight, right? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Forcefully, with conviction, Lazarus is dead. Here's the first thing that we need to see about salvation is that salvation identifies our total and complete brokenness. Salvation declares that you and I, as Paul said in Ephesians, are dead in our trespasses. Is that all right with everybody today? You and I without Jesus, are dead. Everybody shout dead. Everybody shout dead man walking. (laughs) Now, once again, I know that's offensive because we like to think I'm alive. I'm invincible. I've got it all together. And Jesus is saying this. You can have gated communities and big houses and expensive cars, and boats, and RVs, popularity, and likes, and the latest shoes, and you're still dead. But you can have cardboard boxes, and dirty streets, and heroin needles, come on, and handouts, and you're dead. And the reason this is important 
Because what happens is that we have a tendency to take our culture and put it on us. So we think if I'm clothed right and I've got it together and I've got my 401k and I've got my education, I'm actually alive. But what Jesus is telling us is that deadness is given to the entirety of humanity. So whether you've got a big boat and a big house or a cardboard box and a needle in your arm, we are both dead. This is why at the foot of the cross, it is all equal. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. It's offensive, isn't it? Because we don't like to look at ourselves that way. So here's what we need to understand. We will never experience the power of the gospel unless we understand what the power of the gospel is for. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 14 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. See, if we're honest, you and I don't like to look at this because we have a tendency to minimize this issue. But we can't do that. And when we minimize sin, we minimize the significance of Jesus. And this is why Peter proclaims what he does in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Listen to this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. See, the gospel is not just something we believe in because it's another thing that improves our life. The gospel is the difference between death and life. So the first thing that we need to realize today is that salvation identifies our total and complete brokenness. Every shout sin. All right, number two, here's the second thing. Section two, let's keep on reading. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So lots of people are starting to gather. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, you got to read it in this way, because about what's about to happen. She went and met him. Come on, anybody got that auntie or uncle? So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, late. She went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary's like, I ain't, Martha's nuts. So she went out to meet him and Martha said to Jesus, those are some of my most favorite words in scripture. As if you could say something to Jesus. (laughs) Martha said to Jesus, and come on, just. Find yourself in this statement. Maybe you've been here before because I know I have. Lord, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Has anybody ever blamed God before? God, if you would have showed up, that cancer would have never riddled their body. God, if you would if you would have showed up when that happened to me, I wouldn't be addicted today. If you wouldn't have showed up, if you would have showed up, 
I wouldn't still be afraid of men today. God, if you would have showed up, that uncle would have never taken advantage of me. I know. These are the issues that are sitting in the room. If you would have showed up, Lazarus would not have died. But watch what happens in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now watch the switch. Because here's all of a sudden, we're going from physical to supernatural and spiritual. And there's this salvation language that starts to get integrated. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, if we mill a little bit, if we dig in a little bit, we start to see the richness of this subject. And it's sprinkled throughout scripture. In every story, every nuance, every moment, every step that Jesus took, it's salvation. In every breath that he would breathe, it's salvation. In every word that he would say, it's salvation. And then he asked her the question that all of us need to wrestle with. Do you believe this? And she said to him, one of the most beautiful statements any one of us could ever say. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So here's the second thing we need to understand is that salvation declares our right standing before God. The big theology word here is justification. And it means a change in a man's relation or standing before God. It has to do with relations that have been disturbed by sin. And these relations are personal. And it's a change from guilt and condemnation to acquittal and acceptance. In other words, when you and I, by faith, put our trust in Jesus, we are transformed in a moment. We are justified. Not perfect, Justified. I stand before God as I articulate. Do you believe? Yes, God, I believe that you gave your one and only son and I want to follow him. And it's in that moment, the most miraculous thing that you could ever witness takes place. And that is the transformation of a soul. I believe and I'm changed in a moment. I am justified in this moment. I stand before God adopted as a son or a daughter. I am right before him. It's the gospel. And it's done by his power, not ours. Romans chapter 3 verses 19 to 26. By his grace... Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 25. With his blood, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. And it's through faith, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. 
What's the Bible communicating to us? You can't do it because he's already done it. So why are we laying this foundation? Because if the church doesn't stand on this, like Paul said, we are avoiding the truth of the salvation that we have. We build the church on this very truth of salvation. I'm going to invite the team up. Last one, section three. Y'all with me still? John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44. Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, I need you all to put yourself in this moment. Because you just got to get into the craziness of my mind for a second. I want you to think about the words that Jesus just uttered. Take away the stone. From a cave of a man who's been dead for four days. Now, Martha, the sister of the dead man, do I got any A-type personalities who are hyper-observant on details in here? Come on, just show hands, because this is you, okay? Watch what happens in this moment. This is insane to me. Martha's like, hey, Lord, uh, by this time, just so we're very clear, I hope everybody's got their scented candles. Mary... Get the doTERRA and your diffusers because y'all, there's going to be an odor for he's been dead four days. Think about this moment. Think about everything that's going on right now. Lazarus is dead. Somebody's going to be rolling a stone from this tomb. People have gathered around. By now there's a commotion and Martha's concerned about odor. And then Jesus says to her, did I... Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Can I just tell you today, when you believe upon Jesus, you see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But Jesus hasn't spoken yet. And I knew, I knew I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of these people standing around. That they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died, he came out. And his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. We'll get to this last statement in just a moment, but if I just step away for just a second, I gotta ask myself, was Lazarus already alive? Jesus had no concern about the odor. Mary, I to, uh, Martha, I told you, if, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. My, my question is, was Lazarus just bound up in the cave, wandering around, smacking into walls, just waiting for Jesus? Because apparently he'd already said something to the Father. Was the miracle already in production? Had the miracle already, did, was, the, was the fuse already set knowing what was about to happen and that all that needed to take place 
Is the man Jesus needed to say, roll the stone away and come out? Is it possible that for some of you in this room, God has already been working on your case for weeks now? Is it possible that you ended up in the room today, maybe by accident, maybe by invitation, maybe by happenstance, oh, but there's been small things along the way. Grandpa was praying, and mom was praying, and your counselor was praying, and all of a sudden you ended up on church today, and you needed to hear. Mindy, come out. John, come out. Because the miracle was in motion. Now I step back, that's not in the scripture, but Oh man, I've got just, I'm pulled into this idea that something more was taking place. But nevertheless, this is what happens. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And this mummified Lazarus comes walking out, his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, here it is, unbind him and let him go. Number three. Salvation initiates progressive change by his grace in our lives. We call this sanctification. Can we be honest in here today? We've all walked the path of life that we have. And if we're really honest today, some of us still have the odor of dead things. Residue from the decisions, residue from the thoughts residue from the behaviors that have been consistent and ongoing and habitual. But can I declare to us today that salvation is the initiation of God's progressive plan of change and development in your life and in my life. And here's the crazy part for some of us. For some of us in this room, we came out of the cave. We said yes to Jesus. But when he tried to come take off the grave clothes, we ran from him. You're like, but wait a second. I, I still, I still like these grave clothes. I still kind of like the stench of my old life. And he keeps on beckoning to you and I. No, no, sister. No, brother. You need to understand that what I paid for, you don't need to live in those grave clothes anymore. You don't need to live in that place. You don't need to live in that dysfunction. You don't need to live in that hurt. You don't need to live in that sin anymore. I'm changing you. I'm renewing you. I'm refining you. I'm redefining you. We have to let him work in our lives. We have to allow him to continue the work that he's begun in our lives. As the Bible has said, he is faithful to complete it. And sanctification is important for us to understand because who God sets free. Oh, come on. Somebody is free indeed. When you're saved, when I'm saved, we're not perfect. Come on, everybody look at your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. Oh, come on, say it better than that. See, you still like, ah, maybe. Come on, look back at your, look back at the person who just said something. You'd be like, no, you're definitely not perfect. I just came to declare today that for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus and we walked out of the tomb, take the grave clothes off. Come on, somebody, take the grave clothes off. 
Come on, you gotta, you gotta strip those things back. Don't, like, if you got linen on your hands still and you gotta take the grave clothes off, but there's some others of us in here today who have yet to say yes to Jesus and he is standing outside of the tomb and he is declaring, hey, what used to be dead, you can come to life. You've got a new name. You've got a new reality. You've got a new disposition. Come on, everything that is old is made new in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I've been saved by his grace. I've been transformed by his name. I got a new person going on inside of me because of what God has done through his gift of salvation. And I don't know if there's anybody else in this room today that has been saved by grace, but if you are a new person because of what Jesus has done in your life, can we just give him a shout of praise? Can we just honor God today? Because who the Son set free is free indeed. Come on, everybody's standing. Everybody's standing. Jesus, let's lift our hands to heaven right now. Oh, God, speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, move in this place right now. Illuminate situations and circumstances. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds right now, Jesus. Father, for those of us who have said yes to your son, Jesus, we've been saved by grace. We just once again acknowledge the truth and the beauty of what it is. And we say, thank you for the blood. Thank you, Jesus. That I don't have to live in my old ways. That I can live according to the new man. Maybe there's some others of us in here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed. That you would say right now, Jason, man, I haven't heard it put that way before. And right now in this moment, you might be assessing to yourself, I want to come out of the tomb. You might be assessing right now that you need Jesus. And so we're going to pray a prayer together, all of us together today, so we don't leave anybody out. But with boldness and courage, I want to ask those of you in this room today who would say, you know what? I need salvation. Make this your prayer today. Make this your moment today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you all repeat this prayer after me as loud as you can? Everybody say, Jesus, I am giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rolling the stone away from the tomb and calling me out. And so today, I acknowledge that I need you as my savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name.